Hey everyone, Dave Broadbeck here. The lecture you're about to hear is for psychology, also biology, uh, 3506 Neuropharmacology, and it's for the, uh, I guess, winter of 2018. Okay, so today we're going to talk about antipsychotics, um, which the name tells you what they're for, right? So these are drugs that alleviate, were originally developed to alleviate the symptoms of psychosis, especially schizophrenia. I know, sort of somewhat old-timey, uh, I guess you'd say, way to classify psychological disorders, but you still hear people say it, is psychosis versus neurosis. So a, a neurosis is things like I feel nervous around people. I don't know. Uh, I can't, I, I'm afraid of public speaking. Uh, I can't commit to a relationship. Okay? None of those are about me, by the way. I'm nervous. Uh, psychosis is more like I don't understand reality and I think that there's a, but I'm not aware of it, but I don't understand it. Right? So it's things like, I'm hearing voices, and I believe they're real, by the way. Uh, or I'm Napoleon. Either Bonaparte or Dynamite, you could be. Uh, or everything I do screws up to the point where I'm probably the cause of everything bad in the world. Right? I think that's sometimes. Yeah, that's fair. But, so that's... It's not used so much anymore, though it's, I, mean, I think it's used sort of, uh, it's a useful classification as far as a way to just think about different kinds of disorders, but it's, it's not as much as it was uh, years ago. But these drugs were developed to deal with psychosis, okay? And basically, we'll talk a little bit more about this in a second, but there are, schizophrenia is characterized by what are called positive and negative symptoms. Okay. And the, ne the positive ones aren't good. It's just having more of something. The negative ones, there's less of something. The positive ones, there's more of something. So examples of the negative symptoms are things like catatonia, which is you know sitting in a corner and rocking back and forth like this. Or just social withdrawal. Positive symptoms are things like paranoia and delusions. So that's just, and I'll talk a little bit more about this in yeah, the next slide. So questions about that, though? And I know that the psych students pretty much know this, but the biology students might not, so that's fair. Okay. So schizophrenia, first of all, you've got to determine what it is. So a lot of, in, in, the, in the popular, you know, in, in popular parlance, schizophrenia is thought of as, quote, split personality. <coughs> Which comes from maybe, I don't know, it's always said, to, you always hear people say that comes from the idea that the word schizophrenia, it's Greek roots, roots mean split mind. Except that how many people know Greek words, roots of words? Right? So schizophrenic, people often say that they're schizophrenic because they have two different personalities. Those are unrelated things. One of them is called the dissociative identity disorder. And then there's... Um, or it may very well not exist, let's say that, where schizophrenia is a real thing. 
And it's characterized by a couple things, more than a couple things. Uh, first thing is like thought disorder. So that's the inability to, this affects everything about cognition. So this is everything from being able to plan things, to remember things, to learn things. So cognition is not where it should be. This is implicit memory, explicit memory. This is uh, one of the things that's fascinating about people with schizophrenia is that they don't show something called the Pollyanna effect. Something really interesting in, in, in memory work is that if I give you a list of words like joy, happiness, uh, fun, tree, house, and wall, you're going to remember joy, happiness, and fun better than the other words. Because you remember positive words better than neutral words, better than negative words, okay? Not schizophrenics. It's all equal. So, the thought disorder part affects everything. Problem solving, learning, memory, the whole deal. That's the first thing. Next would be, and you don't necessarily have all of these things, but the thought disorder, I think you have to have for the diagnosis. Delusions of grandeur happen a lot where people think they're better than they are to the point that they're deluded and they believe this, oftentimes believing they are perhaps historical figures or believing they have the secret to X, Y, or Z. So it might be that I finally have figured out how the government really works in the deep state. Now, there are people that think that that are crazy. Uh, but I almost said crazy. That I stop myself. That aren't disordered. They're just nuts. But those people are nuts. That's their the deep state, man. Or they think that they're so important that the government is tracking everything they do with satellites. For example. But it's common for people to think that they're a great scientist or they have this great idea. And it's 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 something that we would all look at, but it's a little crazy. You know, like you look at it and go, no, you probably haven't figured out how to make a perpetual motion machine, because that violates all the laws of physics and such. Or you're actually not Captain James T. Kirk. Or whomever. Or Napoleon. Hallucinations, now you often think of, when you think of hallucinations, what do you think of? You think of seeing things. Hardly ever is schizophrenia. Uh, we have people having visual hallucinations, almost always auditory. Though sometimes uh, they can be uh, gustatory, so taste or smells. But usually it's auditory. What you're doing, what's happening here is you're hearing voices. And the voices often feed into the delusions, right? Because the voices might be telling you, I'm God and I've chosen you. To lead an army of France, even though you're a 13-year-old girl. So maybe Joan of Arc was schizophrenic. She probably had a... She had something going on. There was something with Joan. Then again, she did... Leave an army at 13. That's pretty impressive. We've got to give her some credit. So hallucinations are almost always auditory. Now, you may have seen the movie A Beautiful Mind. Have you seen it? Yes. Yeah. So spoiler alert for a 20-year-old movie. He's a paranoid schizophrenic. And it's a great movie even if you... You should be able to figure that out anyway. If you have any background in psychology, but 20 minutes in, you should be right down. I, I'm horrible about this kind of thing at home because... 
I'm no fun to watch movies with because I figure things out. And I used to just say them out loud and spoil the movie for my wife, which I learned after... So after about 10 years together, I learned don't just spit out the solution to the crime or what's happening. You know, so I just took a piece of paper. I said, oh, oh you, is there any paper? And I, read, I wrote down paranoid schizophrenic. And then when, of course, he, it turns out he's a friend. I said, look at I wrote. Look at, am, I, am I pretty smart, right? I'm really a peach to live with. But... In that movie, he, all his, his hallucinations are visual because auditory hallucinations don't work really well on film. Also, it would give away the fact it was a hallucination. Right? Uh, by the way, the guy who the movie's about, it, he never had visual hallucinations. They're always auditory. So, and this thing, again, as I said, fit in with the delusions, right? So, again, you're being told, you are the chosen one and you're being told that by God. Right? Or that you're intersecting government transmissions with your brain. Right? A paranoia then often fits in with this as well. And you can see how these things will hang together. Because if you have voices in your head telling you you're, that God has chosen you for this, you're going to think that other people are going to want to do something about that. They're going to want to, want to get you somehow. So you get paranoid. So, on the other hand, you might get social withdrawal. Here's another thing that goes with us. So, you, now, again, that all fits in, right? Because if you think you're special, and you're being told you're special with your mind, with, you know, there's something going on. Too much dopamine, by the way, all of this. Withdrawal from society. You get what's called anhedonia, which is you don't take joy in anything. You have nothing is fun anymore. You don't enjoy watching a good TV show. You don't enjoy food. You don't enjoy sex. Anything. All the good stuff you think is, you have no interest in it. Abolition uh, is a lack of motivation. So you won't do anything either. So you can see how these things would be, it's going to be very difficult for someone with this disorder to say, for example, hold down a job. So these are the positive symptoms then, and those are the negative symptoms. Those positive and negative. Dave, yep. Could you explain the positive versus negative? Well, it's too much of something. Look, now and then we all have troubles with thinking. We all have. We all sometimes think we're a little bit special. We all sometimes hear things and they aren't there. But we also all go. Oh, that was weird. And move on. We don't believe it. So there's too much of something, and this is too little of something. You're withdrawing from society. You don't feel good about anything. So one of them makes you do more of something than you would normally do. One of them makes you do less. That's the way I like to look at it. That makes that makes some sense. Sorry. Okay. Well, no. Is it? Can I make it clear? Um, let's say you had a lot of hallucinations. Though. Would it would it then become negative? Don't think of positive and negative being good and bad. Positive is more of something you normally have. Negative is less of something. Right? Because like I said, now, I mean, now and then I like to daydream. Because we all do. And I may, for example, when I'm riding my bike, pretend that I'm 
Captain Apollo driving, riding a, a Viper and shooting down Cylons. I know I'm not, though. But, you know, when you're on a 30-kilometer bike ride because you want to, you know, not, you want to live past 55, sometimes it's not very motivating. So instead you think, I'm going to kill some toasters. You know. But I know I'm not Captain Apollo because I'm actually Admiral Adama. So, outside Galactica, no. But anyway, I'm aware of that, right? So that's just a little bit of something. What's happening here is the whole thought disorder thing, probably, like, these all hang together, right? Because you're having trouble thinking straight, but it may be because of the, and nobody really knows what comes first, chicken egg sort of thing, because of these hallucinations, these delusions, and the paranoia, it all kind of hangs together. So again, don't think of positive and negative being good and bad. They're just too much or too little. Yeah, I was just wondering, uh, so for the negative symptoms, are they directly related to schizophrenia? Are they like a consequence of part of the form of depression that just props up with it? They hang together. I mean, the whole thing goes together. There are things like schizoaffective disorder, I think it's my next slide, which has some thought disorder, but all the things that look like depression. They're basically, if you don't have enough on the DSM, the checklist to say you're schizophrenic, you can be put in schizoaffective. But it's very similar. Yes. Yes. That's a good question. Other questions? So when I was a postdoctoral fellow at Western, uh, working in the lab, as you do, and we brought in a guy who I will make his name Yuri, because it's not. Uh, but he was from Russia, right? So I figured Yuri's a good one. Uh, and so this guy, he wrote to the lab and he said he wanted to do a postdoctoral fellowship as well. Could he come? And I remember talking about this with the guy I worked with, a guy named Bill Roberts, and he asked me my opinion because I was the senior guy in the lab, and he said, I said, well, yeah, Soviet Union just broke up. Let's be nice and helpful and open. So this guy comes, and he's very quiet and very withdrawn, but that's understandable because he really only spoke Russian, hardly spoke any English. That's good. You know, it'll take time. Also, you know, he's, oh, how old would he? He would have been pushing 40, and I was the oldest person in the lab, and I was 27. And then the other people were all graduate students in early, early to mid-20s. So... He should. So he doesn't. And then he also has a problem, which often happens with people that have this, where he didn't, um, personal care wasn't important to him. By that I mean he smelled bad. By that I mean when he was on the seventh floor, you knew. That's how that. Not just like you get close to somebody and go, ooh. So he comes to talk to me one day. And I was asking my dad what to do about this because I kind of ran the lab. And it's like, how do you tell somebody they have to wear the other? Because you figure it's a different culture. Maybe that's not a thing. I don't know. I know I know of Russia. I know they cheat the Olympics. That's all I know. So he shows up at my office and he says, we, we must have thought. That's actually a really good impression of him speaking English, by the way. And I said, yeah, yeah, we, we really must have thought. And I, because my dad said what you do, just give him some deodorant. Just say, here, just put this on everything. Because that'll be just 
be that. And then, so I open up my office, my desk drawer. I, this is, I sweat a lot. I was at the owner. So I give him this stuff. And he says, well, you must have thought because uh, you broke me with Angela. And I went, uh-huh. Okay, who's that? And this was a person in another lab. She was girlfriend. And I thought to myself, no, I don't think she was. She's 22. And you smell that. But I think to myself, maybe he misunderstood something. And it turns out he actually, they were both late. They ate dinner together once in like a cafeteria. And he took this as, in his altered state, as this was now his girlfriend. It turned out, in fact, one day he went, went, he got into her office and sat in there in the dark and waited for her. By the way, most schizophrenics aren't dangerous, so this isn't, he's not going to hurt anybody. Except, you know, damage her psychologically. So, he says to me, I know you did. I I don't know what you're talking about. By the way, everybody thought with that thing, it was like, uh, he just doesn't understand how women and men operate in North America. Because you don't figure someone has this. And then, he... um, he says, I know because I heard your thoughts. And I went, okay. Right. I took that abnormal psych class. I think I know what's going on here. He said, three of us should have conversation. I said, I don't think that's going to happen. I said, but you know what? I will go talk to her. You do that, then tell me when we are having meeting. Okay. So he leaves. I go up and I find her. She's in another lab. And I said, uh, you know, do you? Uh, so she tells me about the stuff about him waiting in there and all. I said, okay. This is, I said, I'll try to deal with it. He comes up. Uh, I, I'm literally, I'm, I'm carrying a pigeon from the box into uh, back to the, the housing room. No, the other way. I put the yeah into the skinner box. Put it in, and he's right behind me. Like you ever had somebody near me? And I, I turn around, and he's right behind me. And I, I, it's funny, I could have smelled him. You think, but. He goes, so when is meeting? I said, we're not having meeting. And then, see, the problem is, you can't... One of the definitions for psychological disorders is they're harmful and to, to themselves, but also other people find their behavior disconcerting. And that's exceedingly disconcerting behavior, but you don't know how to react to it unless you're a trainer. I'm not that kind of training. So I'm like... Dude, she doesn't like you. Move on. Like, I'm acting like I'm a bad, like I'm a 90210. And he goes, oh, you are part of it, too. <laughs> he does that. And I kid you not, he did a crazy laugh. And I went, okay. I took the bird out. I put it back in the box. I went down to the computer room, which we didn't all have computers then. I emailed a friend of mine who is a PhD student in engineering. And I said, I know it's 11 o'clock in the morning. Would you like to go for a drink? <laughs> Meet you at noon. I said, okay, noon's fine. I went to my office, I closed the door, locked it. And I went and had some drinks. A couple days later, he was in hospital. Because he had paranoid schizophrenia. I don't know whatever happened. I know he was taken back to, he had immigrated to Israel, so he, would, he was taken, flown, flown back to Israel. We called his mom. Because, like, who are we going to get him to? 
call his mom. We found a guy who could speak Russian. Big university western. We went to actually my old first year history prof. He taught me the history of totalitarianism. That's a fun course, by the way. And uh, so he gets on the phone and he's speaking Russian back and forth. This woman he gets off and he's like, well, I think she also might have the same problem. <laughs> so that's the in the family. So I don't ever know whatever happened to Yuri. Apparently he's still, I, I know that he did at one point also appear in Dr. Roberts and Bill Roberts' backyard looking just in the window. And then he told Bill, I know they've implanted chip in me. So you can see through my clothes. You do that to all immigrants. Oh, man. Implanting the chip, by the way, was the thing in Beautiful Mind that gave me the idea of schizophrenia. You know why? Because that's a very common delusion. You've had a chip put in you. People see a cut and they think, oh, the government said to get me. I know they put a, a special chip in me so they can control my behavior. So this guy is my one uh, interaction with someone with schizophrenia, and it is exceedingly unpleasant. Even when I figured out, and we all knew at that point, he had parents schizophrenia, it's like, this is no fun. This isn't, I mean, I, we can sit here and joke about it today, but it, I wonder what happened to the guy, but also it is exceedingly unpleasant for, every, for all concerned. It was really something. So... The drugs themselves are sometimes also called neuroleptics. You'll hear that. What you get is Greek for clasping a neuron or holding a neuron. They're also sometimes called major tranquilizers because they calm you way down. Uh, as compared to like barbiturates and benzodiazepines. It's not really an appropriate term, but they do have really big tranquilizing effects. You don't hear this used very often. It's more used in older papers. So you'll hear in psychotic drugs called major tranquilizers. Now and then. And they do put you to sleep. The most useful classification of different of these drugs is called typical and atypical antipsychotic drugs. Some examples of typical sulforapromazine, promazine, haloperidol which is marketed under the trade name Haldol. Uh, and the atypical, the sort of classic, the first one was Clozapine. Dave, yep. what's the difference between the typical and the... Typical ones deal with positive symptoms. Okay. Atypicals deal with positives and negatives. The jury's out of it on the... They deal well with the negatives. They do they seem to a bit. Also, one of, some of the side effects aren't really as nasty with the atypicals. Yeah, yeah, so they're, um, but the thing is, the typicals are still used, uh, partially because, I, I think, because they may be cheaper, but also, uh, not everyone reacts exactly the same way to the drugs. So usually when you're being prescribed these things, you, very often chlorpromazine is, is the first one. They try that first. The French doctor, uh, Labellie, tried, this is in the 1950s, uh, tried giving antihistamines, remember histamine is a neurotransmitter, to schizophrenics. And it actually had some positive effects. They also had very clear sinuses, which was wonderful. Antihistamines, clear sinuses, thank you. It didn't work perfectly, but it was like, obviously, it's something to do with a neurotransmitter that is in the same family. 
these sort of classical sort of small molecule neurotransmitters. It's not going to be histamine, but it's something close. Let's see what we can do. And again, these drugs then uh, get developed. By the late 1950s, the first typical antipsychotic drugs were developed. The first one, I think, being chlorochromazine. It might have been haloperidol. They're administered uh, orally, so you take a pill or, use, or through a depot injection. A depot injection is um, a little... This is, there's a problem with this, you'll see, for a schizophrenic patient. Uh, a little bladder sort of thing is implanted. Oh, no, they get, they're going to implant the chip in you, are they? See? Uh, below the skin, and then you can inject drug into that thing, and it goes out through, through uh, osmosis over a week's time or something like that. Okay. The nice thing there is you only have to go in and get your drug amount replenished maybe once a week. And I've heard of uh, ones that work for a month. But usually it's pills. This crosses all the barriers, blood, brain, placental. And it's absorbed very slowly. It's actually, these drugs are perfect as clinical tools. They're, they're, they cross the barriers easily and they are absorbed slowly. You want a nice, big, long, therapeutic window, right? And it's eventually completely broken down by metabolism. So it's, it's not like, you know, like, you know, with alcohol, you're still breathing out alcohol, or you pee out caffeine. It's completely, it gets completely broken down. The stuff that's not absorbed, it, uh, it doesn't affect the brain. It's almost like a perfect clinical drug. So it's used for schizoaffective disorder, which I talked about, which is basically the notion that it's like you have a lot of the positive symptoms, maybe one or two of the positive symptoms, but not enough to check all the boxes for the diagnosis, but you have all the negative things, the affective part, right? Um, it's used for bipolar disorder, for the manic part of it. Uh, manic, the manic part, bipolar, of bipolar disorder actually is pre-psychotic, right? Because you believe that, we'll talk about this with ugly antidepressants, but on, on Wednesday, mood stabilizers, but the thing is, when you're having a, a manic episode, you may, for example, max out all your credit cards because you think it doesn't matter. I'm the smartest person in the world. I'll find a way to get all this money back. Right? And that obviously is a delusion. Uh, acute psychotic episodes. So these are things where you have one episode and you don't ever get schizophrenia again. <laughs> so it's not schizophrenia. Schizophrenia doesn't clear up like a cold. So this might be a drug reaction. This might be, we talked about amphetamine psychosis uh, before the break. For amphetamine psychosis, you could probably, in fact, it works pretty well. It works pretty well for that. Or sometimes people will have a psychotic breakdown, and it goes away using these drugs. Treatment-resistant depression. Um, this is something that where people have tried everything else with depression, basically. That's a newer use of these drugs. And of course, schizophrenia. It's also been used uh, with autistic people, which strikes me odd. Especially kids. I didn't put that up there because it's, a, it's an off-label use drug. It's, that's something you're not... Off-label means it's not what the drug's actually for. 
how do these things work? Well, they block dopamine receptors. Schizophrenia is too much dopamine. That's what causes schizophrenia. Um, specifically, D2 receptors, there's, I believe, four kinds, D1, D2, D3, D4 receptors. It blocks D2 receptors. That's what these drugs do. There is literally a direct relationship between D2 binding efficiency and the effective in the ED50 of any of these drugs. I'll show you a graph in a second. It'll be the prettiest bit of data you've ever seen in your life. Um, anybody who goes into the... Well, I'll save that little spiel for a second. Um, they also block acetylcholine histamine, so there's Lebanese antihistamine idea, uh, and serotonin. They altered GABA and some peptide neurotransmitters. And they block norepinephrine rece uh, receptors. But, they, but the body kind of makes up for it in making more norepinephrine. So that was <clears throat> So the key therapeutic effect we have here is blocking dopamine receptors. Schizophrenia is too much dopamine. That's what it is. And here's a nice indication that that's what it is. Note the straight freaking line. Have you ever seen data like that? Like Those are actual data. This isn't just theoretical. It's their log scales. Uh, but you ever seen something that just goes beautifully on a straight line like that? That's a correlation of 1 point, well, it's probably 0.99. That's close enough to 1 for me to say 1. So the next time someone tells you that schizophrenia, I mean, I've heard people say this, schizophrenia is just, people are just eccentric and all we're doing is locking them up because they're questioning the system, man. Show them that graph. And then most people that think like that can't read graphs, so you'll have to walk them through it. <laughs> it's a disease. It's a disorder. It's like, you wouldn't say insulin is just big sugar trying, no, you'd say that you know what the flu is, man? It's just really eccentric people that like having headaches. And then we make them take medication. Somebody's sick, make them better. No, no, let's find some other way to make it seem like it's all caused by the man, man. Something's not caused by the man. This ain't one of them. So, I mean, this is, it's, a, it's too much dopamine. There were all these great theories going around. When you go back and read stuff pre the invention of these drugs, the ideas people had about what caused schizophrenia are, are they're funny. In their, how sad they are, right? Like you read, uh, there's so many things with people, it's like, it's crazy. No, no. People are sick. Also, uh, there's a nice genetic component here. So if you look, uh, twins are more likely to have some. Monozygotic twins are more likely to both have it than zygotic twins, etc. Right. So the key brain regions here for dopamine are the mesolimbic dopamine system. That's our reward system. So accumbens, ventral tegmental area, uniform right bundle. So there's your reward system. the notion, I've heard this, this isn't my idea, though I'm very sympathetic to it, that if you have too much dopamine, everything you do will be reinforced. Right? That's, 
So every little weird thought you have gets reinforced. So we all have the weird thoughts, but these all get reinforced all the time. Okay. I'm sympathetic to that. I'm not sure that's a I've heard that said, that's all I'll say. I'm, I'm not I'm not an expert in this stuff, in, in, in clinical stuff. The other key brain region here is the nigrostriatal region. It's called that because when you stain it, it's black and white stripes. The atypicals seem to have less effect in this brain region. Um, one of the side effects, we'll talk about that in a second, is that this, these drugs can lead to, because they block dopamine, and I think the key part where it's affecting you is over here at the reward system, not down here at the nigrostriatal system, which is important for smooth movement, okay, and movement in general. So people with Parkinson's disease don't have enough dopamine in their nigrostriatal system. And it can lead, the use of these drugs over the long term can lead to Parkinson's-like symptoms. And the atypicals don't tend to have that side effect. And they don't tend to have as much of a dopamine effect in the nigrostriatal system. So that kind of follows, that's the reason they don't. Questions so far? The discovery of these drugs, the discovery of Parkinson's disease was caused by not enough dopamine and the discovery and the idea that those drugs worked on the dopamine system together, put together this thing called what people call the dopamine hypothesis of schizophrenia. So then people say, well, it must be too much, too much dopamine. And of course, that graph there is that happened. Yeah. Yep. So are you saying that the atypicals essentially aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing in that area? In that area, yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, they're sort of engineered to not affect that area so much. Because once the drugs were made, by the way, these, these things changed psychiatry. People used to be schizophrenic patients were in psychiatric facilities, and psychiatric facilities were bursting at the seams all over North America. Yet, they were trying things like, well, let's just shock them. Right? So, if, if you ever read the book, Once Love the Cuckoo's Nest, or seen the movie, the movie's good, the book's actually better, even though Jack Nicholson is not in the book. And it's weird because the guy, Jack Nicholson, is supposed to be he's a, like a, a six foot three, curly haired redhead. It's like, that's not Jack Nicholson. So, whenever they describe him in the book, if you've already seen the movie, you just, it's, it's Jack Nicholson. But that is what's, what these places were like. Uh, all kinds of people in there for schizophrenia, but with no treatment that worked. Like, what are you going to do? Talking therapy for schizophrenia? Right? By the way, once you're on the drugs, you need talking therapy. That's for sure. But you can't just take someone who believes their brain is being controlled by Major League Baseball and the Illuminati and... They're going to think you're part of the conspiracy, right? So that's what they're trying. And then suddenly these drugs come along, and like it seems like everybody's fine. But everybody's fine. The symptoms go away. People are released. 
and told, we'll give you this stuff uh, for the rest of your life. You can take this stuff. And then it turns out a lot of them end up with something that looks like Parkinson's. So it's a bad deal all around. But it, it revolutionized psychiatry. It was, they were, these were the first drugs that were found that actually seemed to, didn't really, but seemed to cure a psychiatric disorder. Yeah. Uh, marijuana in certain individuals can obviously cause paranoia. <clears throat> as a, um, <laughs> I've had that effect when I was 16. Anyway, sorry. Uh, would you classify that as an acute psychotic? It can be. In fact, the worst thing for someone who has psychosis in their family or has had psychotic episodes is to smoke. One of the worst things is to smoke marijuana or take it. The last thing you want to do is give somebody, give people. You don't want to alter someone's perceptions. The whistle there. You don't alter someone's perceptions who's already got a problem with potentially having a thought disorder. Yeah, so I mean, one of the things that we're going to have to be careful about with, with legalizing marijuana uh, is there is going to be cases where people who have these disorders take this stuff. But it's the same thing, you know, we figure with adults and say alcohol. We let alcohol out there and yet there are alcoholics. So yeah, that's the old, pretty much the only really dangerous thing with marijuana besides, of course, you know, doing something stupid like driving a car on your stone. Though usually the biggest effect there is you just drive slowly, very deliberately. Five kilometers an hour. But yeah, in this case, yeah, uh, that those end up being basically the difference here is it seems a lot more the paranoia in a, in a psychotic episode is like orders of magnitude worse than the paranoia that someone gets from smoking weed and their friends are telling them they're calling their parents and the cops are coming. Right? Because usually people don't do at the level that someone having a psychotic episode does. I had a friend once who thought he uh, swallowed a thumbtack for the amount of, which he, uh, yeah. he didn't, but the amount of paranoia. Was. Yeah, but did, did you then play into it? Because that's my friend. So someone ever got paranoid when they were high, you just start to say, yeah, I know, I saw that. I wanted to, but yeah. I felt yeah. probably not the best thing to do. No, it's not. It's horrible. It's <laughs> funny, but it's, it's you shouldn't do it. You never, ever do that. Ever. And get caught. You, you should that's a line from my high school football coach when I clenched the guy in my throat, grabbing by my face mask. Right back! You never do that and get caught. No, you really shouldn't do that. Throat punch people in a football game or anywhere, or you know, make people more paranoid. But yes, psychotic episodes can happen from marijuana, but they tend to happen in people who have already had psychotic episodes. But they clearly are linked when people who are say schizophrenic or have had psychotic episodes, smoke marijuana, they're more likely to get another one right away. So there's a link between schizophrenia and marijuana? In people who already have schizophrenia. Who already yes. have schizophrenia. Yes. yes. Okay, not people who do not. Does it make you schizophrenic? No. No. Because if it did, 30% of us in here right now be hearing voices. I'm just going by what the numbers probably are. It's probably like 40%. Is there some sort of interaction with dopamine and everything like that? Or? I don't really know. That's a good, that's as good that's a good as good a guess as any. Yeah, yeah. it's almost probably certainly true. Yeah, when we talk about marijuana. It's like the, the cannabinoid receptors are all over the place, mm-hmm. including the reward system, of course. That's why they feel good. Why it feels good. So this, the, the the positive symptoms go away with either kind of drugs. Go, they, they they stop them. You take the drug as soon as the dopamine effect happens. And you can you know how long it's going to take because you can figure out the half life, all this stuff. The voices go away, and the atypicals have the same effect. Have sorry, have some effect on negative symptoms as well. 
though not everybody, not all research shows that. It may be, as you mentioned, that this negative uh, symptoms are sort of perhaps related to the positive symptoms and they work better on the negative symptoms, therefore you have less of the positive. Interestingly, the more effect, these drugs are most effective with the most severe patients. So the more severe your hallucinations, delusions, paranoia, antidonia are, the better the drugs work. Why is that? I don't know, and no one really knows. You read papers about this, and people, it just seems to work that way. It's odd. It's, in fact, exactly as backwards to what you would think, right? It's like if I have a headache, a small headache, one Tylenol works. A big headache, I don't take half a Tylenol, I take three. <laughs> it's just not how things are supposed to work, but it seems to work that way. It may be kind of a floor effect, right? So maybe there's not so much room to show any difference. That's a possibility. That's, that's the, the thing that, I, that you see in the literature. People figure it's just there's not so much room to show an effect. But that seems like a doesn't seem right somehow to me either. I don't know. Now the problem here is with, and this is what happened in the 50s, maintenance use. It's not super effective. So what happens here is, to the point where, geez, what are the percentages? Uh, Meta-analysis show things like about 27% of people, I think that's right, 28% uh, percent of people who are given maintenance doses of this stuff and told you to take this the rest of your life, uh, don't have symptoms again. That's not great. That's way better than zero, however. Way better than zero. So basically, psychiatry has figured out that what you need here both is, is, is maintenance use and therapy. Because some folks, this stuff, schizophrenia usually shows up uh, late teens, early 20s. Right? So people your age. That's why it usually, usually shows up. There is childhood schizophrenia, but usually it's, it starts to show up around the age you guys are. So the problem is then that people have to be taught how to behave in society in essence, as adults. There's a lot of behavioral things you can do here too. People don't, they withdraw from society. How do you make people not withdraw anymore? Well, you can teach them. One of the things you can also do if they're institutionalized is you can count how many times you can do behavior therapy. Count how many times someone say, smiles at you when you smile at them first. And you reward that. Token economies. Use quite a bit with psychologists. You've also got to convince people to keep, keep taking the drug. Think about this. It's shutting down your reward system. Right? It's blocking dopamine receptors in your reward system. They must be a lot of fun to take, eh? And making you tired. A lot of schizophrenics report having a, taking a day a week and saying, I'm just not taking the pill today. Just so dinner tastes good. 
that's really sad, right? I mean, getting rid of the symptoms is one thing, but making your life have no joy in it anymore is pretty shitty. Right? And it's got to be hard to hold down a job all these things when you're tired and you don't like doing anything. So again, you're, the talking therapy isn't just, a lot of this is going to be about how to function in society. Because you don't know how to do that. Yeah. What about the people that already have? Already have what? Oh, but just that? Well, oh, I see. If they have that, yes. and then the drugs are making them still see no joy in it. Yeah, it makes it worse. Okay. Yeah. See, this is why question you asked before. It's like maybe you just pull away from everything because everybody, literally, because everybody goes, that guy's crazy. Right? So you just don't, so you don't do anything. That's a good question. Okay, so side effects. The worst thing here is the Parkinson's-like symptoms. It's called tardive dyskinesia. And if you, at the beginning, when these drugs were being given out in the 50s, almost everybody ended up getting this. And it isn't always completely reversible. So you want to be very careful with dose and very careful with drug choices. So people tend to be hospitalized for a few weeks after they're given the drugs just to make sure that everything's going okay. Oops. The problem with thermoregulation, uh, it can lead to seizures. These are from most likely to least likely. Oh, this is a bad one. When clozapine was first released, late 70s, um, some people's livers shut down. Oh, that's bad. You need that. You'll need a liver. That's what it does with it. You know what people are going on? I'm going on a cleanse. You need know, a cleanse if you have livers and kid, a liver and kidneys. Or even kidney. You can just have the one. There's no cleanse. There's no detox. That does that for you. It's built in. However, if you don't have it, it doesn't matter how much juice you drink out of cleanse, you'll die. And this happened with uh, clozapine when it was first it was pulled from the market, and then more studies were done. It turned out people of Middle Eastern and the Mediterranean backgrounds were more likely to have this reaction. There's some kind of allele, so or yeah, probably just one one gene, but maybe more than one, that is more common in those subpopulations of people. So what happens is, if you are of those populations, you're very careful not to be. If you're given an atypical, you're monitored for a few days. So it's even rare, for example, and I know, uh, Sault Ste. Marie, so Mediterranean, you're thinking, well, everybody here is Italian except Dave. Right? But are people still giving any? Yeah, sure they are. But they're just monitored pretty closely for a couple of weeks. Make sure your liver doesn't shut down and you're okay. So it was first put in the market, then it was pulled. It's like, no, 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 it's killing people. But then it turned out it was killing all people that from the same part of the world. Or they're background. So it slows down everybody. You can see how that would work. If, if nothing, if it's slowing your reward system, it's going to slow you down. This includes uh, rats, pigeons, monkeys, humans, 
So spontaneous motor activity disappears. There are dissociative effects. We've talked about this many times, where learning something on the drug is different. You won't remember it off the drug. It reduces your sex drive. Sex isn't fun. Nothing's fun. There's really no withdrawal. That's nice. So people, the thing is, you don't want people going off the drug anyway. And these have literally no street value, as you can imagine. Right? No one ever walks up to you and says, do you want to take a drug that makes everything no fun? You don't go, oh, that sounds great. Even if you're really misanthropic, like I am, you don't go, I want to feel even worse. I mean, no one... So these have no street value. So it's not like we talked about opiates, right, and how they have a perfectly reasonable use, but they also have this use that's very nasty. Um, these drugs literally have no street value. So there's nothing to worry about as far as that goes with these drugs getting out of the world. So it's interesting in that they're... When you read about these drugs in intra-psych, when you read about antipsychotic drugs, they are often held up as the, the triumph of modern medicine dealing with a psychological disorder. And they are, but it's not nearly as simple as it's made up. Well, nothing's as simple as it is in any intra-level course. Right? There are, these drugs can be unpleasant, and it's only between a quarter and a third of people can stay on the drugs and hold down a job. Like, it's not easy to have this disorder. Right? This isn't like diabetes, where you shoot yourself in the leg a couple of times a day with insulin and you're fine. You can have a normal life. Right? This isn't like, say, epilepsy, where you can take barbiturate or benzodiazepine uh, and live a really normal life, no problem. This is difficult. is difficult. So you get a lot of people that even though they're on the drugs and they're going through their therapy, they may be living in a sort of assisted living or group home kind of situations. Though it's way better than it used to be. It used to be everybody was locked up in a psychiatric facility for the rest of their lives. These classes get more and more depressing, don't they? I mean, it just it gets fun soon. We'll talk about marijuana and LSD. Those are fun classes. These drugs ain't no fun, and this disorder is no fun. So keeping people on them is a big part of the, fair, the talking therapy for this. How are we done already? Um, does anybody have any questions? Like, we're totally on top. We can, it's weird. We even have some good questions. Does anybody feel cheated under their tuition? Oh, go ahead. No, I don't feel cheated. Good, good. Well, I don't care really. I can pay the same either way. I have a question. Yes. You were saying earlier that it's sometimes used in ADHD. Yep. No, autism. Oh, autism. Yeah. Would that be something that's slowing them down? Maybe. See, my, I, I'm very biased about things about autism. I have an autistic side, so I get really, uh, I get my back up when I hear about treatments for autism a lot of times. Mm -hmm. um, as much as I'll tell you, if, if I can push a button and I can get rid of my son's autism, like, like, I do right here because it makes his life better. So it's like I don't love him right now. 
you know, he's great, but it'd be easier for his life if he didn't have But when I hear about kids being given chlorpromazine and they show fewer instances of various symptoms like hand flap, like, yes, it's a frequent drink. Same thing would happen if you gave him a couple of drinks. Anything that's going to slow him down is going to do that. And that's my view of it. But I have a very biased view of that, so it's hard for me to, to judge. Well, I've heard of the kids, you know, it's like three and four years old. Man, me too. Yeah, and then, you see, the thing is, there is childhood schizophrenia. That's a thing. But most diagnoses of childhood schizophrenia are misdiagnoses of autism. They really are. Diagnoses of childhood schizophrenia are dropping, and diagnoses of a sort of a child's schizophrenia dropping autism are going up, and it's basically one's replacing the other, right? Uh, along with uh, general mental retardation. I mean, th- those are the things that are happening. So I think a lot of times little kids are being given these drugs, and I, I just, yeah, I don't, I don't want to... It just doesn't seem right to me, somehow. You know, unless, if, look, if you've, got, if you've got schizophrenia, yeah, that's fine. That, you, you should so think well, there's that too. You have to be freaking careful. Yeah. 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 A lot of explaining to parents things like, okay, one a day, and if you skip a day, you don't give them two, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I have heard the same things. I, I read a, a paper about that once, and I got halfway through it, and I couldn't read it anymore. Like I said, I'm, I got a real, it's very difficult for me to be objective about things. It's very difficult. Yeah. Other questions? Those are, those are good points you're making. That's good. That stretched it out. Nobody feels cheated out of their tuition if we leave early? No? Okay, thanks guys. Uh, antidepressants next time. It'll be more fun when we get to marijuana. Which is really the story of my life. Thank you. Stay 2010, we will stay proud. Find us at the top of the CN Tower. Feel the passion of a whole nation. Breathe its power. Stay standing at our heads till we get through. Stay like body, stay like you. You can find us in the field in the prairies. With the winds at our back, stain to Paris, stain Perry. We'll take it for the team to live with the scars. We will stay taser, we will stay sharp. With guts of a rookie in the greatness of vets. We will stay dowdy, stay grats. It's all about who we are inside our people. More we stay determined, the more we stay leading. A sequel. If you find a loony sitting on a set of ice, a sustained Canadian survive at least tonight. Yeah. Feel the beats of the hearts Leave everything on the ice in every game We 
will stay Duncan, stay PK. Find us on the coast of the Atlantic, knowing that we're staying Joe, we're staying Saget. Stay together in the tough times, I'll fight forever. We will stay Mario and come back even better. Keep on winning all the battles of the boards. Get the pass away like Iggy, stay the law, stay the legend, stay moments that forever live. Stay gold Canada, yeah, stay sin. available of course on itunes or whatever podcatcher you're using just search for uh, dr dave broadbeck's psychology lectures malgoma university which is the most ungainly title ever uh these are released under a uh, um, creative commons copyright share like 3.0 canada uh you can't use these for commercial purposes um you feel free to share them uh and feel free to match them up any way you want but if you do that that means i get to do the same thing with your stuff sort of like the gnu license um I hope you learned something, but if you didn't, I, unless you're one of my students, I really don't care. Um, the music, by the way, for each uh, song, for each uh, uh, episode, <laughs> lecture, uh, is uh, available. They're all podcasts, uh, like Podsafe Music, so if you want to uh, find out about the bands, there's links on my website at people.aoc.ca slash broadback. Uh, if those links don't work, just contact me and I'll find, uh, I'll find out. Um, Often I put links, uh, actually, in the uh, if call them show notes or blog posts. So, uh, you know, buy these people's music. They're, they're making the stuff available out there. Uh, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>